0: Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Welcome to Coastal, glad to have you with us today, and uh, welcome to the, you guys watching online. Uh, thank you for tuning in, being a part of our growing uh, online community. My guess is we have a few extra people watching online today, and uh, they're probably watching from like their old bedroom, or like they're sleeping on, you know, in the extra uh, bedroom, you know, on somebody else's bed, And uh, but you got up this morning to tune in, so thank you as uh, we're getting ready for Thanksgiving. you excited about Thanksgiving this week? Woo, yeah, 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 I I really believe that uh gratitude is one of the most uh, powerful uh you know, powerful attitudes that we have life-changing forces. Uh the the uh power of gratitude and, and thanksgiving. And I know our Gamecock fans have a lot to be thankful for this morning, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you Beat those Vols yesterday. Great win for you guys. I'm hoping personally that all your energy and everything has been spent this past week, and now you know it'll be a little bit different story. Hopefully this weekend. Uh, But hey, all the teams in South Carolina won. Really, I know uh, Clemson, South South Carolina, the Citadel uh, won yesterday. So good stuff. Good stuff. And uh, I'm excited for Thanksgiving. I hope you are too. So. Let's just jump right in. We've been in this series uh, called A Revolution of Faith, going through the, uh, the book of Romans, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, last week, uh, we looked at the first 14 verses of chapter six, and we talked about how we as believers uh, have been united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, that we, we died to sin, and we have been raised to walk in new life. And uh, through his death, Uh, The penalty of sin has been broken, uh, has been paid for, and the power of sin uh, has been broken in our lives. And as a result, uh, we are now being made holy through the process of sanctification. That's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So now, in this second part of chapter six, Paul continues this conversation, this teaching that we are being made holy. But this time... Uh, He comes at it from a different angle, and he uses a different illustration. So not only have we died with Christ and been raised to walk in the newness of life, and remember, baptism is a beautiful picture of that, but now we have also been made slaves to God. And in doing so, the slavery to sin, which was characteristic of our former life before we were believers, that way of life, that uh, slavery has been broken. So Paul is still emphasizing the same thing, talking about sanctification, but he's just coming at it from a different angle. What Paul is doing in this chapter is showing us that a truly born-again person can no longer continue in the same pattern of sin that used to characterize your life before you were a believer. Why? Why is that true? Well, because we're no longer in the same relationship with sin anymore. So what's that new relationship? What's he talking about? Well, he says we have a new master. A new master. Look Remember verse 14 from last week. For sin shall no longer be your master. For, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So we're no longer under the old master. So whether you, you're looking at from the first half of Romans 6 or the second half of Romans 6, you're basically going to see the same truth. That, that those of us who have been truly saved, who are born again, who have given our lives to Jesus, we are going to have a different relationship with sin than what we used to have. Before you became a Christian. Because the new birth will always be evidenced by a new life. The new birth will always be evidenced by a new life. There's always going to be this evidence of of transformation. This evidence that you're now in Christ. Now, remember that Paul's discussion in these verses has been triggered by a question that he knew the first century uh, listeners would have and he knew we would have too. So remember, he's preaching grace, right? We're saved by grace. And he knew that inevitably somebody would say this. Okay, Paul, great. You know, if you're preaching that there's nothing that I can do in and of myself to earn my salvation. In other words, I can't be good enough, you know, to earn heaven, you know, to become a Christian. That, you know, my good works just won't do it. I can't earn it. That it's all grace, apart from the law, well, Paul, get ready for this. You've basically just turned me loose. I mean, because if we're free, if we're now under grace and not the law, well, then I guess you're saying, I might as well just go out and sin all I want because I could never earn salvation, and it's all about this free gift anyway, so I might as well just live however I wanna live. Now, is that true? Yes or No, no. Of of course not. So, I mean, think about it like this. Does the doctrine of salvation by grace, does it really open the door for the freedom to sin? You know, just to live however you want to live. Well, we've got Paul's answer, if you remember, back in verse 2 from last week, and then he repeats it again in verse 15. This is what he says. What then? Shall we sin... Because we're not under the law, but under grace? What does he say? What's the answer? By no means. In other words, absolutely not. Are you kidding? No way, Jose. Not in a million years. No. God never intended his wonderful, amazing grace to be a ticket for evil. His grace is not an excuse now to sin. In fact, just the opposite is true. In fact, Paul makes the case that if there's really been a change in your life, there's no way that you can live unchanged anymore. You're a new person. Now, why? Why is that true? Well, again, because we're not the same person. And we no longer have the same master. Where before we were slaves to sin, now, he says, we're slaves to obedience, to righteousness. That's what he's talking about here in the second part of chapter 6, and that's what I want us to talk about today. And we're going to break it down into three parts. So if you're taking notes, number one, the first part, let's just, the recognition of slavery, okay? Before you became a Christian, and then after you became a Christian, let's talk about it, the recognition of slavery. Verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So Paul begins, begins this discussion with a very uh, simple axiom. Axiom, literary uh, word for the day. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you the word antithetical analogy. And I know you're thinking, man, Pastor Chris, we're going back to English 101. What are all these uh, literary terms? Well, uh, antithetical analogy, remember that was a contrast of opposites. Um, Today, I I give you the word axiom. So what's an axiom? An axiom is a general truth that is so obvious or self-evident that it, it, re, it really needs no proof, okay, no explanation. So what's the axiom here? It's this, a slave is under obligation to obey his master, right? Pretty obvious, that's an axiom. I mean, it, it needs no proof or explanation because after all, that is the nature of slavery, right? Now, Paul mentions two, two masters here in this passage. What are they? One is sin, and the other is obedience. And he basically explains that, hey, these are the only two options. You are either in sin, a slave to sin, or you are in Christ serving obedience. There's no middle ground. Okay, it's one or the other. I mean, Jesus basically taught the same thing, Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. You only have two options, one or the other, and that's what he's saying here. You're either under the reign of Adam, remember we talked about that, being in sin, or the reign of Christ. You're either under the reign of of grace or, or obedience or sin. Now, look back at verse 16. Notice what Paul said about it. He says... If you're a slave to sin, where does that lead? He says, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to what? Death. If you're a slave to obedience, where does that lead? Well, what does he say? Or to obedience, which leads to what? Righteousness. Now, let me point out something here that's important for us to to take note of. When you became a Christian, when you gave your life to Jesus, you signed on for a life of commitment and obedience. But that alone is not what Paul is emphasizing here in these verses. Not just that. You know, he's not just saying that as a believer in Christ, saved by the grace of God, you now, as a result of that, are morally obligated to obey. Now, I think I could make an argument for that. I could make a case for that. Because of what Jesus did for you, out of gratitude, there's that word, gratitude, you ought to want to obey, feel an obligation to obey. But he's he's saying more than that here. He's actually saying that in Christ, we have actually been recreated to obey, In other words, when you became a believer, it's not simply now that you are, you know, ethically bound for obedience, it's that you are actually recreated in Christ for obedience. Ephesians 2.10 describes it this way. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to what? Do good works. Created in Christ to do good works. We've been created for it created for obedience. we we got to understand that before we go further because here in Romans 6, Paul is talking about the fact that our identity has been remade in Christ. And a part of your new identity is this idea of obedience. It's, it's in your new nature. And so you might be thinking, and you might want to respond, well, so Pastor Chris, are you saying that you know, everybody who is, you know, who's saved Everybody who becomes a believer, that when that happens, that, that we are a new person, that we are transformed. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying because that's what Paul is saying here. Now, even though we still struggle with sin and sin still wants to reign in our mortal bodies and even though you know, there is still a fight you know, in our flesh, Paul's point is that obedience is actually an essential part of this new creation. You see, through justification, remember, God declared you righteous, right? He recreated you holy in Christ. And now through the process of sanctification, our new nature then begins to change. Our behavior begins to change as we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit and obedience. We, you know, we now we've already seen that that change. It doesn't happen instantaneously. Instantaneously we are declared righteous, but that process takes time. You know, we stumble and fall along the way. We still sin, but our new creation, our new identity is going to hate that sin. So, Paul gives us a couple of reasons why a believer should not continue to sin under grace. Number one, we've been united with Jesus We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. Uh, And then secondly, we have a new master that has freed us from our slavery to sin so that we could become a slave to righteousness. That's what you need to recognize as as a part of your new identity in Christ. Now, number two, let's talk about the ramifications of that, the ramifications of, of slavery in Christ verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So Paul is expressing gratitude to God for the fact that you're no longer subject to sin's slavery. But notice what he says. Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to what? What's the phrase he uses? Obey from your heart. Circle that, underline it. Obey from your heart. Now what's he talking about there? Now obviously this is not something external, right? Right? you know he's talking about you know obedience from your heart and the idea is that when you responded to Christ okay when you became a believer it wasn't something primarily that you did on the outside it was something initiated that began from the heart from the inside you responded to God Now, yes, that had some external ramifications, external expressions, but it began in the heart. Now, what is it that you obeyed? Now, Paul is very specific here. He says, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Now, this is so good. You'll love this. Because like I hear people say from time to time something like, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are what? What's the word? Sincere, right? Well, that's like, that's just like stupid because you can be sincerely wrong. It does matter what you believe. And Paul says here that we are to believe, listen, the pattern of teaching. What's he talking about? He's talking about the saving truth of God's word, he's talking about the gospel. Now, this is so cool. The word translated "pattern" here—it's um, the same word used to describe the molds, m o l d s, the molds into which molten metal was poured into for uh, casting. It's as if when God saw us in slavery to sin, by his great grace and love, he melted us down, and while we were still in that hot molten state, he then re-poured us into a brand new mold pattern. This new mold is the teaching that has now claimed our allegiance. So think about it like this. Here we are. You know, We have initially been melted down by our conviction and by our response to the, the word of God, the beginning work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We have repented. We have humbled ourselves. We have accepted Christ. And now we have been re-poured into his brand new mold. And so when the metal is cooled and God lifts us out, we're a brand new shape. A new shape. Now, what's that shape? What is our shape? Well, we have been conformed to the mold in which we were poured. What's that mold? He says, the pattern of teaching. We have been conformed to the pattern of truth that is found in the good news of the gospel. In God's revealed word. Think about it this way. The teaching to which we submit ourselves when we become Christians, it stamps us with this new image, this new pattern, this new mold, and we become a brand new person. That's what Paul was getting at later in Romans, Romans 12, 2, where he said, Do not conform to the what? the pattern of this world, the mold of this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. He's telling us, hey, don't allow the world to put you into its mold because you've been transformed from that. That that old mold has been broken, and now you are in a a new mold. The pattern of sound teaching uh, regarding the gospel, we now bear the image, the mold of our master, of Jesus. And so we've been saved for righteousness. Man, only God can do something miraculous like that. Only God could melt down the old nature of sin and then take all of those ingredients and re-pour them into a brand new person. And the person who was once stamped with the false teaching and the false view of this world and all the things of this world in Christ has now been remade and stamped with a new image, the image of Jesus, the image of the, the teaching of his word. Now, let me take that analogy a step further. We have to conform to the mold of God, the mold that he gives us, the the good news of the gospel. You do not become a Christian by just floating all over the place and believing whatever you think you want to believe. And yet, I want you to listen to some of these alarming statistics from the Princeton Religion Research Council and the Barna Institute. Listen to this. 64% of Americans believe that Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Muslims, and all others pray to the same God, even though they use different names for that God. 64% of Americans agree with this statement, all religions are equally good. 62% of those surveyed agreed with this statement, it doesn't matter what religious faith you follow because all faiths teach similar lessons about life. 72% of Americans agree with this statement. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Every time I hear that, I want to go, are you absolutely sure about that? You know, seriously, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Two people could define truth in totally conflicting ways, but both could still be correct. And then finally, probably the most disturbing of all is that 53% of those who claim that there's no such thing as absolute truth identify themselves as born-again Christians. Wow. Coastal, listen to me. You don't get to invent your own mold. You don't. You know, we we don't get to invent our own way to God, no matter how sincere we might be. Jesus is who he claimed to be. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Either he's a liar, either he's crazy, or he is the Lord. Which is it? You know, God has established the only way to come to Him, and that is through faith in His one and only Son, Christ, Jesus. And saving faith in Jesus, it is built on God's revealed word about Him, not our own ideas about Him. There is a divinely revealed content to the gospel. There is a sound form of teaching. And if we are to come out in the image of God's Son Jesus and bear His stamp, we have to be poured into His mold. And this new casting that we're poured into, this new mold, it means a whole new master. And that's what He's saying in verse 18 you've been set free from sin, not free from sinning. We're still going to do that. But not, and not free from temptation. Temptation is always going to be there. But we're free from the mastery of it, the tyranny of it. It's no longer on the throne of our lives. And so therefore, we're a new person and we ought to live accordingly. Now, where does all that ultimately lead? So we've talked about the recognition of our our new slavery, the new master that we have in Christ, the ramifications of it. Uh, Now he discusses the results of it. Number three, the results of it. Look at verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Now, stop there for a second. That's an amazing statement. Because before we met Jesus, he's basically saying, you are just totally loose to, you know, from the control of righteousness, you could just do whatever you wanted to. Because righteousness made no demands on you because in and of yourself, you had no capacity to fulfill it. Why? Because apart from Christ, remember, you're dead in sin. And so if you're outside of Christ, you are free from the obligation, from the control of righteousness because you're still being controlled and ruled by sin. Again, Paul meant what he said. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. There is no middle ground. Well, you know, well, I kind of got one foot in, one foot out. You know, sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm bad. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. You're either in sin or you're in Christ. You're either in control of one or the other. And then in verse 21, he says, "What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in what? Death." He's saying, come on. You know, when you look back to that time in your life before Jesus, sure, you were free from the control of righteousness, but you think about all of the the fruit of your sin and what it produces, what it leads to. Shame and guilt and regret and pain and sadness or worse and worse, death. Now, In contrast to that, look at verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin, stop there for a second. Again, that doesn't mean that you're free from ever sinning again. That's not what he's saying. It means you're free from sin's control. In salvation, God not only sets you free from sin's ultimate penalty, but he saves you from sin's present tyranny. It's control, it's no longer sitting on the throne of your life. So go go back, what does he say? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is what? Eternal life. Eternal life. And eternal life that he's talking about here is not just a quantity of life, it's also a quality of life an eternal kind of life, a supernatural life. Jesus called it the abundant life. You know, he's not just talking about, you know, in heaven one day, but right here, right now, God's existence, his life within you. Remember in John 17 when Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. So eternal life is that abundant life in Christ promised to all those who know him and follow him. Man, what a a stark contrast. You know, what's the result at the end of verse 21? Those things result in death. What's the result at the end of verse 22? Those things result in eternal life. Now what kind of death is Paul talking about? So we have a clue in, uh, in verse 23. And this is one of those verses in Romans. There's a lot of these verses as we make our way through Romans. That you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that verse. I know that verse. You know? And someone in my share this verse with you when they were sharing the good news of the gospel with you. Maybe they went through something called the Romans' road of salvation. Uh, verse 23. So he starts off by saying, For the wages of sin is death. Now, the word wages there It's not just referring to a one-time lump sum payment. In in the original language, it's it's actually talking about a daily wage. A daily wage. In fact, in the first century, the word here was also used for something called the fish wage. The fish wage. And it was a a daily per diem given to Roman soldiers for food. So the implication here is, is that to those who are enslaved to sin, still in bondage to sin, just a little bit of death is being doled out every day, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And even though the full effects may not show themselves immediately, sooner or later, that, that slave to sin, that sinful life, it's just going to suck the life right out of you. You know, think about um, the daily death that is being dispensed out as a result of the sin that we commit. You know, maybe think back to your time before Christ, or maybe even you know, maybe you're here today, and yet you are in Christ. You have been declared righteous, but you have st- you're saying yes to the wrong master, and you've you've fallen back, and you're just you're just in some sort of ongoing sin in your life. Listen, think about the death that's being doled out as a result of that. You know, pride, pride leads to what? The death of relationships through, you know, exploitation or control. Lust leads to the death of integrity and uh, the corruption of your character. The death of your witness. Anger you know leads to the death of others either immediately by violence or just slowly by your attitude and your actions. Envy leads to the death of contentment, the loss of joy. I mean you can just think about it think about all the results of, of the sin in our lives over time but Paul's also talking about another kind of death here that, If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, on that final payday, so to speak, at the end of your earthly life, you will have earned a spiritual death, total and complete separation from God for all eternity. Now, look back at verse 23. Because you kind of expect it to read like this, okay? Kind of follow. For the wages of sin is death, but the wages of God is eternal life, right? I mean, that kind of makes sense. That's kind of the way, you know, it's kind of gone back and forth a little bit. And that's what you'd expect. But it doesn't say that, does it? What does he say? For the wages of sin is death, but the what? Gift. The gift. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because eternal life is not a wage. You can't earn it. It it is a gift. Literally, he says, it's the the free gift of God. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It's a gift. In fact, he says it a similar way in 2 Timothy 1.9. For God saved us... And called us to live a holy life. There's both right there, by the way. That's a beautiful picture of both. We've been justified through salvation. God saved us. And now he's called us to live a holy life. He did this, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from from before the beginning of time. To show us his what? Grace. Through Christ Jesus. God saved us by his grace. And that salvation should lead to a holy life. He saved us and called us to live holy lives. Now, let's wrap up all this and try to summarize what Paul is saying here in chapter 6. There are basically two ways to live life. You can keep serving sin, or you can serve righteousness. One leads to sin and death, the other leads to holiness and life. In the first half of the chapter, Paul taught us that we have been united with Christ. When he died, our old man died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he was raised to new life, we've been raised to new life. Therefore, we should count ourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And now, in the second half of the chapter, he uses a different illustration to say the same thing. We were slaves to sin, now we're slaves to righteousness. In the first part, we discover that we have a new life, and now, in in the latter part of chapter six, we've discovered that we have a new master. Verse 18, go back to it. You've been set free from sin, and have become slaves to righteousness. Listen, salvation ultimately sets us free. Salvation brings freedom, For the very first time in our lives, a sinner is not free. When you are apart from Christ, before you were saved, you weren't free. John 8, 34, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins, everyone who is in sin is a slave of sin. The only thing someone apart from Christ can do is sin. Sinners sin. Who is the only person who has a choice? A believer. Because for the very first time in your life, you're now free. Not free to sin, not free to do wrong. You've been set free to what? To do right. To free to do God's will. You see, the long and short of it is this. God takes unholy men and women like you and me and he declares us holy through our faith in his son Jesus. And then he takes those same people and over time he makes us holy as we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we obey our new master, we become more and more like Jesus. And any concept of becoming a believer or being a Christian or following Jesus that doesn't include that is false and it will not stand. You and I have been saved for righteousness. We are now slaves to obedience. We have a new master. Obedience is a part of our new, ma- new nature, and we should be becoming more and more like the new mold into which we have been poured. That is Jesus. Now, That cuts across the grain of a lot of the uh, easy believism and cheap grace that characterizes so much of Christianity today and so many churches today. Listen, as a church, we have been commanded not not just to get people to make decisions, but to make disciples. You know, we ought to be saying to people what Jesus said. Look, count the cost because when you come to Jesus he's calling you out of sin and into obedience you're a follower of Christ Jesus is not calling you just to add him to your sin he's calling you to a, to a death to a resurrection to become a new person, because that's where the power is to overcome. and And by the way, he's not calling you to just add him to your already busy, preoccupied schedule. He's calling you to die and rise again. He's calling you to say no to the old master, to the old way of life, and to say yes to the new one. So the question is this, have you said yes to Jesus? Now maybe you're here today and you would say, yes, Pastor Chris, I I did, I have. So let me ask you this. What master, which master are you currently saying yes to though in your life? We've been recreated towards obedience. It's a part of our new nature but it is possible from to begin to say yes to our old master and to live to sin listen you know what it does you know what it'll bring stop pretending otherwise say yes to jesus not you know again it's not about obedience so that he will save you he has saved you and if he has then out of gratitude and recognition that you're new and sin is no longer in control, then say yes to him today. But maybe you've never said yes at all. Listen, one day you will stand before God. I did a funeral yesterday. You know, and I say a lot of things at funerals, but one of the things that I consistently say is that the death rate in our country still hovers right around what? You know, 100%. It does. And one day we're all going to stand before God and the Bible teaches that even the shadow of a sin will be made known. And so you can't change that. You can't be good enough to, uh, to change that. You can't earn your way into heaven. But at some point, at some time, you can say yes to, to the great rescue mission of God. It is great love for you And he knew that we were incapable of changing in and of ourselves to becoming righteous. He decided to send his son, who was completely righteous, who paid the penalty for your sin. If you will simply put your trust and your faith in him, he will declare you righteous. And you can stand before Jesus, before God one day, covered by the blood of Christ. He'll welcome you forever into eternity. But the choice is yours. He's not gonna force himself on you, but he is drawing you to himself. You're not here by accident, and you can come home today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, thank you for, thank you for Jesus, our new master. And, Lord, as believers, I pray that we would live a life worthy of our calling, not trying to earn it, but out of gratitude for it, that we would continue to say yes and to cooperate with the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and become more and more like this new mold that we have been created into. Because, God, Father, I believe there there might be somebody here today or somebody watching who is, been in a pattern where they've just been saying yes to the old master and their life is just steeped in sin and and um, they need to come home listen turn around come home today say yes to Jesus and maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Christ at all that very first time listen God is waiting he's drawing you to himself pour out your heart to him right now and, and just pray something like this in your heart Heavenly Father, I admit it. I am a mess. I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I ask you to forgive me. I do. I. I believe, and today I believe, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he went to the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And today I put my faith and trust in him and him alone. Not not myself, not good works, not religion, not church attendance, but Jesus. And now, God, for the rest of my life, I just want to follow him. I want to live for him. I want to become more and more like you see me now forgiven it's in the name of Jesus I pray Amen. thanks for listening from pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church have a blessed day